Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns the Podcast. My name is Abby Rancor. Thank you so much for joining me this week. This is our Monday episode, which means it's like our educational episode. Our Thursday ones are Bible study episodes. If you are new to this podcast, I appreciate you being here. So um, today we're going over the history of World War One. I'm not sure what happened in school <laughs> where I completely missed why World War One happened, who was involved. I mean, I knew it was like the Allies and that America was involved, but, you know, and that we won. That's about the extent of what I knew because, you know, you learn about all these wars and the reasons that people are going to war seems very straightforward. Like you learned about the revolution. Okay, England is not treating us well. We want to break off. That's the reason for revolutionary war. Easy peasy. Civil war. I know there's a lot of other reasons as well, but a big one was slavery. That's like what we were taught as the main reason in school. And so, yep, that seems straightforward. The North, you know, wanted, no, the South wanted slaves. The North wanted no slaves. That seems pretty simple. World War II, the world, the war you learn about right after World War I also seems simple. This guy, Hitler, wanted to kill many Jews. Okay, very digestible to like, realize why you would go to war. But the history of World War One is like much more convoluted. It's a lot of alliances and more subtle reasons it feels like t- for going to war. And, you know, now reading the history that I did and doing all the research that I did, th- did this week, you know, I can see why you, you would go to war. Like there was a lot of tension in Europe and people were trying to take over other regions and people were making all these alliances and then suddenly everyone got sucked into war because of alliances and you know I it ends up making sense but I can totally see how in middle school if I learned about this I'd be like um what like this doesn't make any sense for why (laughs) you're going to war and it just wouldn't stick in my mind and that's what happened it did not stick at all everything I read was it was like I read it for the first time like I did not know any of this (laughs) before um, before this week, which is terrible. Everyone should be probably educated on World War One and any world war we've been in. But yeah, that's why I needed to fix this week. I finally, finally came to the realization that it was time to conquer the history of World War One and own it and be able to, you know, actually know what happened in a major world war. Because this, during this war, so many lives were lost. You know, they called it the Great War before, you know, World War II, before they realized that there would be another world war. But before that, they thought that this was like the war to end all wars because there was so many people that died, so many people were injured, so many countries were involved. It was crazy. So we're going to go over the history of World War One. Um, but first, as like our little mini five minutes of fun, I want to touch on a couple like stories in the news that happened this week. I'll call it like a week in review or something. Although I only want to really touch on two, two news stories. Um, first of all, Kamala Harris, there was a statement that Kamala Harris said that basically getting vaccinated, she says, is the essence of what it means to be a Christian and loving your neighbor. <laughs> and I, it was laughable. Like her statement was laughable because this administration always talks about how they are Christian, Biden is always touting around the fact that he's a Catholic. Meanwhile, bishops are like trying to to make a specific rule to not give Biden 
the communion because he outwardly supports abortion and the Catholic Church is anti-abortion. And like they're doing so many sort of anti-Christian, in my opinion, they're implementing so many anti-Christian policies or just not caring about Christians in general. And then Kamala, like in an effort to, it seemed like pandering to Christians and pandering to middle America who they already have advertised and saying like, we're going to go and, and advertise on deadliest catch in NASCAR to get these people vaccinated. It's like, now they're pulling the Christian string to try to get people vaccinated. It's like, please. Okay. You know, if they were halfway genuine in other things, I'd be like, mm, yeah, maybe she, she means this, but it was such a crazy pandering moment that I was like, oh, please do not bring in Jesus trying to tell me to get vaccinated. Please do not do that. Um, and then the other story I wanted to touch on is these Texas like lawmakers, these congressmen who these Texas, you know, elected officials were supposed to vote for um, more regulations on voting. So like you have to show your ID to vote. And they're so anti showing your your ID to vote. They realize that, you know, since two thirds, I think, or three quarters of the assembly has to be there in order to hold a vote, they all fled the state. Well, now the Texas governor is saying that they are going to be um, arrested when they come back into the state of Texas, which would just be, I mean, I'm sure he's not joking around. I bet, you know, I bet they will be arrested. But it's like, what, are you going to leave Texas forever? Are you just never going to come back? Like, what was the game plan for leaving? But the thing that came out this week that was even funnier is that, well, I don't know. Hopefully they're all okay. But I just think it's ironic because they sent all these pictures with no masks on this private plane with, like, Miller lights and all this stuff, you know, living the, the life, tweeting about how they've made the ultimate, like, American sacrifice and how they're all such heroes and all this stuff. And then three of them got diagnosed with COVID and they've all been vaccinated for COVID. So anyway, that whole situation is such a mess. And it's just like, it's so crazy to watch from, especially an outsider. Like I'm not from Texas. I don't really know who any of these people are, but they are tweeting out these pictures of, you know, this is my first meal as a fugitive. And and really patting themselves on the back for running away from their office. And it just seems so ridiculous to me that they are trying to, quote, save the democracy by literally running away from their democratically elected duties. Um, so anyway, that seems like quite the mess. And I have been <laughs> watching that story pretty closely. So um, maybe I'll start doing like actual you know, we can review like news story reactions or something like that because things are, there are some crazy news stories recently that I kind of want to react to. Um, so anyway, with that all being said, I want to get into the history of World War One. So, um, okay, so let's start with, you know, there's a lot of history that we need to cover here, but I needed to research a little bit of the lead up of World War One, or else it really doesn't make any sense why all these countries would be so entangled with each other in these alliances. So in the time before World War One, which the start of the war happened in 1914. And so 
Um, basically, this history, I think, starts about, let's see, 40 years earlier. So there was concern generally in Europe over other countries' military expansion. There was an arms race. There were a lot of different alliances. There were a lot of different empires all living within the same area in Europe. Everyone wanted to expand and take over new regions. There was also a lot of fear among leaders about losing economic standing if their um, country got like taken over or invaded. There was a lot of diplomatic status concerns. Um, and then there was also like long-standing differences, it says, between like ethnic differences between groups and a lot of Balkan nationalism was on the rise. And so um, there were a lot of different things at play. The other big thing at play, which this I also need to research, like and do a full podcast episode on, but there was a war in 1871 called the Franco-Prussian War. And the French lost some territory in that war, and they were still resentful of the territories they lost, which led to a lot of like the alliances and stuff that we see leading into the war. But all these factors means that things in Europe were tense. There was a war already in 1871, and so we were just coming off off that war. Then and we'll, I'll get to this later, but there was also two different Balkan wars that happened in 1912 and 1913. So there was a lot of tension in this region, in Europe. So, okay, in, 19, in 1871, after the Franco-Prussian War, German states won and unified into one nation. So there's a large area that is like, that is now Germany. The leader of that, of this new state, was the grandson of British of Britain's Queen Victoria. So he, because, you know, Britain had like this huge royal navy, a huge army, they were a huge world power. And because he was like the grandson of Queen Victoria and had like this whole tie to Britain, he wanted to compete with them and have a bit the biggest royal navy and he tried to increase the German influence into the world. Well, then there was like this rivalry in an arms race between Britain and Germany in order to have the biggest military, the biggest navy, and to have the biggest influence. So Britain tried to keep up with the new German um, effort to have this like navy and all this new technology for fighting. And so Britain then tried to build up a ton of navy ships too and get a lot of new technology um, in for its military. In this, like, while all this was happening, Russia was also modernizing its army, and it started a whole um, uh, program of industrialization. Germany and Austria-Hungary formed an alliance because they were worried about Russia. Now, Russia was huge. It had a huge population. This industrialization that was happening was worrisome to its neighbors because they thought that, you know, they could easily take over the surrounding areas and obliterate all these other countries. So Germany and Austria-Hungary formed an alliance. France then made an alliance with Russia because of what I mentioned about the Franco-Prussian War. They had lost land and they saw that Russia was a big power that was rising and so they aligned themselves with Russia. Um, okay, Britain 
Oh, yeah, this is another war that I didn't even know existed. But there was another war called the Second Boer War in South Africa. And Britain was involved with that because they had some colonies in South Africa. And so they found themselves during that war not having any ally in the region. So they eventually made an alliance with France and at the same time tried to boost relations with the U.S. So that if there was ever a conflict, the U.S. would join their side as opposed to joining a side against them. Even though, as we can see later, the U.S. tries to remain neutral through this whole thing as much as possible. Russia then made an alliance with Serbia in the Balkans. So this is all pre-fighting. No one has fought yet. Things are just very tense and there's a lot of alliances being made. So then Russia makes an alliance with Serbia in the Balkans. At this time as well, the Ottoman Empire was crumbling. So like I mentioned, there were two Balkan wars that happened in 1912 and 1913. And many groups were splitting off from the Ottoman Empire and making new states. So then that is like the setting of what kind of... It sets the stage for the war, I should say. So everything's like, everything's just waiting for one event to to set it off. And on June 28th, 1914, there was the event. Archduke Franz Ferdinand of the Austro-Hungarian Empire is assassinated. He was assassinated by a Bosnian Serb nationalist called Gavrilo Princip. And yeah, like I said, there was a lot of nationalism happening and so Serbia there was a huge rise of nationalism in Serbia and so he wanted Serbia to be powerful and and gain more power and so he went and assassinated the um archduke of uh Astro of the Astro-Hungarian Empire and his wife they were both assassinated so the Austrian government thinks that Serbia is responsible for sending him that not that he was just like a lone actor in this that Serbia sent him. So Austria-Hungary is encouraged by Germany to send this list of demands to Serbia in response to the assassination. The demands seemed pretty ridiculous like they would never ever be met and so they were hoping that Serbia would reject the demands. They did and then the empire declared war on Serbia. They called it the Habsburg Empire, which is basically this group of nations, um, you know, like Germany and Austria-Hungary, all of that group declared war on Serbia. Okay, so that happened on July 28th that they actually did declare war. So it was about a month after the assassination that, you know, all of this happened with the demands and then word got back that they rejected the demands and all of that. That took about a month and then war officially started on July 28th, 1914. Okay, we're going to get into a pretty detailed timeline of what happens here because I think it's important. This war spans multiple years and I have dates for every major thing that really happens in here. So I'm going to go through them and explain kind of as I go. Okay, so this is all in 1914. On August 1st, right after um, Austria-Hungary declares war on Serbia, Germany then declares war on Russia. Germany and Turkey sign an alliance and France mobilizes to support Russia. So we're already seeing like the two sides shake out. It's France and Russia. You know, France is willing to then 
come to the support of Russia, and then Germany and Turkey are on the other side at the moment. Germany then invades Luxembourg. Germany then declares war on France. So it had already declared war on Russia. It's now declaring war on France as an, you know, as one of Russia's allies. Germany then declares war on Belgium. Britain jumps in and declares war on Germany. And the U.S. declares neutrality. Okay, so everyone's just declaring war on everyone. We're not even done. We're like halfway through the declaring war part. Um, France then declares war on Austria-Hungary because Austria-Hungary is at war with Serbia. (laughs) Montenegro declares war on Germany. Britain declares war on Austria-Hungary. Germany invades France. Austria-Hungary invades Poland, Russian Poland. And Japan declares war on Germany. Um, Oh yeah, and then Austria-Hungary declares war on Belgium. So those are all the war declarations. Now, I was like, I read all these and was a little confused because if you don't draw out a diagram or something, it's hard to realize who's on what side. So I said, how does this all shake out? And then I Google some, some other website that just said what countries are on what side. So here's how it shakes out. Allies, the allied powers as they're known as, are France, Great Britain, Italy, Russia, the United States, uh, and Japan because Japan only joined because it saw it as an opportunity to see some German colonies that were nearby. And so that's why uh, Japan kind of kind of jumped in there. Um, Central powers are the other side, and that is Austria, Hungary, Germany, and Turkey, or the Ottoman Empire, but it's basically Turkey. So there's some other like smaller countries that that are in there too, like Belgium. Um, but those were like the main players in this. Okay, August 26th through August 30th, 1914, the Russians defeated were defeated at the Battle of Tannenberg. The Germans beat them and they took 92,000 prisoners. So this is like the first major battle of the war and the Germans win handily. Um, On August 30th, the Germans conduct an air raid on Paris, and they said that this did not really have, like, a military impact. It wasn't to kill as many people as possible. It was simply to terrify uh, Parisians, to terrify the French and to terrify the Allies and just show their power and their technology and all of that. Um, Okay, September 5th through the 9th, Germans are stopped by France at the first battle of Marne of the Marne. Um, so that is like basically the first kind of win for the allies there in October, Herbert Hoover, which when I heard Herbert Hoover, I was like, Oh, he must be the president. Well, at this time he was not the president. Wilson was president. Herbert Hoover was a mining engineer, but he set up this thing called the commission for relief in Belgium. Because Belgium, the Belgian people were suffering a lot because of this war. There wasn't very much food. And so he set up this, you know, commission that would distribute a ton of food to the people of Belgium. He was then, uh, you know, many years later, I think it was, yeah, it was into the war. But later he was going to be appointed the director of the U.S. Food Administration. So I will go over that when that happens. But that was in 1917. But we're still in 1914 right now, where Wilson is president, Hoover is 
has just started the Commission for Relief in Belgium. Okay, October 31st of 1914, the Allies fight off German attacks in trenches. So one of the main things about this war that I didn't fully appreciate is the style of warfare was new. Most of it was fought in trenches, it sounds like. So it was a newer type of of warfare and it was very popular. Like almost the whole thing, I think, was, was done in trenches. Um, Japan Japan then attacks and captures a city in China, which was very important. I think it's pronounced Tsingtao in China, and the Germans surrender it on November 6th. So it was like about a week battle, Um, and yeah, Japan ends up conquering that. On December 25th, this is kind of a wholesome story, this is the first year of the war. December 25th is Christmas Day, and the the armies heard Christmas carols in the, like, out in the distance, and it sparked this Christmas truce, they said. And so thousands of, of army, like, soldiers on both sides went and kind of exchanged, like, greetings and had this great Christmas truce, and it was all peaceful on Christmas Day. And that was kind of cute. The you know, the war lasted like four more years and it didn't sound like there was um, a Christmas truce in any of the other years, but it was kind of wholesome that they did that first year, especially because so many people died in this war. It's nice to read about something good that happened during the war. Okay, so after the Christmas truce, um, in January January 1st, so just a few days later, um, bread rationing started in Germany. So we are getting a hint that the war is very consuming, like all consuming and very taxing on the people. Um, February 1st, the Turkish army disarms Armenian troops. There is a fear, it says, that they are helping the Orthodox Russians. And so they actually remove 1 million Armenians forcibly and remove them to Syria. Now, later we hear about Armenian, like basically an Armenian genocide. And I have to be honest, the only time I had ever heard of this actually was from the Kardashians, was from Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I don't know if this was not really taught in school because it wasn't like a central part of World War I or if I just missed it. But yeah, the Armenians were treated pretty terribly in World War I. So at this point, a million Armenians are forcibly removed to Syria. Um, February 2nd, 1915, Werner Horn is arrested in Maine for a bombing that damaged the railway connecting the U.S. and Canada. So there was like, there was basically suspicion about people using foul play to get the the U.S. involved, I believe. Um, Okay, February 4th, 1915, Germans said that any neutral boat would be destroyed. They basically implemented this policy that was all-out war on anyone. So even if there was a passenger ship or just a cargo ship or something and it entered their waters, um, Germans would destroy it. Um, In March time period, like spring of 1915, there were a lot of women in, in Britain protesting Parliament for Peace. So like I said, even at the beginning of this war, people didn't really want to be in war. There were bread lines, people were protesting for peace, and these protests start spreading um, as the war goes on. So 
Um, in April and May of twenty of 1915, Germans start using chlorine gas against allies. This is very important because it's like the first, I believe it said it was the first um, use of chemical warfare, um, them using chlorine gas. Almost half of the people that it was used on died uh, in the ally camp that it was used on. Um, so there were a lot of deaths from this chlorine gas. May 7th, a German U-boat torpedoes a boat called the Lusitania. Now, I do remember learning about the Lusitania. I didn't know what it was, or I didn't remember, you know, what it was. But this was a huge turning point in the war. The Lusitania was a passenger ship with many women and children on it. There were, like, I think over a thousand people on this that ended up dying because Germany implemented it's like unlimited boat warfare on this ship so this passenger ship with nothing to do with the war crossed into german waters and it got destroyed and all these people on board died including a lot of women and children so germans eventually like it didn't at this specific time but later had to end that unlimited boat warfare policy because of so much universal backlash because of things like this, where the passenger ship dies and innocent people are dying. June 4th, um, allies have tried to take Turkey. They tried to take this city in Turkey three times. This is the third time on June 4th, and it fails. Um, okay, so sorry, I'm gonna take a little time out here. You're gonna notice that so many things are happening at once. We're about to jump to a South African battle. Then we jump to a, a battle in Turkey, then France. So this is very widespread throughout, like pretty many different regions really. But um, it's all the same countries fighting each other in different, different areas. Okay, July 9th, 1915, South Africa takes back over a German colony in South Africa. Um, so because, you know, Germany at this point is pretty spread out. They have colonies in a lot of different places. Uh, September 28th, 1915, the Allies enter Kutal Amara and try to take it from Turkey. So um, basically they're trying to take different cities in Turkey. I, I believe they're, yeah, different cities uh, than the one they tried to take three times. Then they try to take this other city uh, in September 28th. October 6, 1915, Serbia is invaded by Germany, Austria, and Bulgaria. And this is interesting, too. I thought that this kind of thing would happen earlier where Serbia is invaded because, if you remember, the man who assassinated the Archduke was a Serb. And part of the reason they got into the war was that they believed that Serbia was responsible for this assassination. There was all this growing nationalism in Serbia. So I thought that like Austria, Hungary, Germany, and Bulgaria would attack Serbia first, but apparently that didn't happen until October 6, 1915. Um, in February 21st of 1916, so getting into the next year now, uh, Germans begin the Battle of Verdun in the Moose region of France. This is where the phrase on ne passe pas like basically becomes popularized which means they shall not pass this comes from this battle which started again in february 20 on february 21st 1916 it lasts the entire year there was um a lot of yeah this battle was super super long but it's germans beginning the battle in france 
Okay, April 1st, 1916, the French Army Flying Unit called the Lafayette Escadrille is formed. It's mostly American volunteers, and they are attributed with, I think, 57 successes. They were a very, very successful French Army Flying Unit. And like I said, it was mostly American volunteers because America was still technically neutral in the war. It sounds like they're getting kind of less and less neutral, but American volunteers went and flew over there and joined this French flying unit. But they were very, very good and had a lot of battle wins. Um, okay, April 22nd, 1916, the Belgians deported, or Belgians were deported to Germany as forced laborers. Uh, they were, a bunch of them were captured and deported. The next day, it was the Easter Rising, so Irish nationalists fought British occupation and they wanted to be independent and not have the British control them or occupy their land. Very bloody. The Easter Rising was very bloody. That was on April 23rd during this war, which I didn't know. I had heard of the Easter Rising, but I did not know it was during World War I. Um, okay, May 10th, which is about, you know, a couple weeks later, the Germans sink the Sussex, which I think it was just a neutral ship, I believe. Um, and Wilson, President Wilson, threatens to break off relations with Germany. But the Germans don't want to don't want to have the U.S. enter the war against them because they know that they're very powerful and it would probably mean German uh, Germany would lose and so um, they stop the unrestricted submarine warfare so that they basically don't push America's buttons and don't want the U.S. entering the war at least they don't want the U.S. entering the war on the Allies side so they stop that uh, on May 16th 1916 the Sykes-Picot agreement was signed this basically divided the Middle East between Britain and France um, May 31st, 1916, German and British navies clash and both sides claim victory in a very, very bloody battle. Um, they, you know, they say that like they lost X amount of shipping power or shipments, um, which I think was in like the hundred thousand tons or something. It was huge. A ton of ships went down. Um, and thousands and thousands of people died on both sides, but they both said that they, they won, which seems, you know, this war drug out for so long. And I feel like a lot of people just like both sides said that they won a lot of different times. Um, okay. June 5th of the same year, 1916, the great Arab rising begins. The goal was to off throw off the Ottoman empire and throw off the Ottoman rule Three weeks later, June 24th, the Battle of Sum, Sum begins, S-O-M-M-E. So I don't, I think that is in France. The Allies, it said, mount a major offensive. This continues until November, so multiple months. It says there were tons of casualties, and this is where tanks were used for the first time as well. So, um tanks were just a, kind of a new technology again there was a lot of new technology in this war trench trenches that type of warfare was one but uh chemical uh chemical weapons were another and then tanks were used for the first time here and i don't know if it was tanks for the first time ever but this is the first time tanks uh and the allies used tanks 
uh, in this war. November 7th, 2016, this was a quite an interesting thing. Wilson is reelected for his second term because he ran on the slogan, uh, or the Democrats, you know, he was part of the Democratic Party, and the Democrats who were helping kind of hoist him up and get him reelected ran on the slogan, like, he kept us out of war. So he won with the promise, basically, that he was going to keep us out of World War One. His opponent was Charles Evans Hughes, who was the Republican. He was seen as more of a warmonger and um, a little bit more aggressive. And so he lost because people thought that he might get us into a war, which is ironic because Wilson ended up going to war anyway. But he won based on the fact that he kept us out of war and would keep us out of war in the future. Uh, March 1st. 1917. This is the next year, so about four months after Wilson was reelected, the U.S. is alerted about something called the Zimmerman Telegram. The Zimmerman Telegram is a telegram that revealed a German plot against America, where Foreign Minister Arthur Zimmerman promised that if Mexico was going to join the war, and if they sided with Germany, they promised Mexico that they would return Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona and take it away from America. So it's crazy to think how if things went differently in this war, how the entire American map would look differently. Obviously, the whole map would look different in Europe as well. But it's crazy that like my whole life I've known of America as being these 50 states and that's about it. But then you realize like in World War One, if we had lost, if Mexico had joined and America had lost, we would not have Texas, New Mexico, or Arizona as part of our country. It would be part of Mexico. And then, you know, I also didn't think about, like, my grandparents were alive before some states were even added. Like, Hawaii was added as a state in, I think, the 50s it was when I researched that. Um, So it was like when my grandparents were, I think, teenagers they, you know, I think it was 59. So yeah, like I just take it for granted that the United States map is this way and you don't really think about how it could be different or how it was different. And, you know, it could have been so much different if this um, plan had gone through and if we had lost this war. Okay, then right around this time, a German U-boat sinks the SS Aztec. 28 Americans died. It was a ship that was torpedoed without warning. And again, like, they said that they stopped, the Germans said that they stopped the all-out submarine warfare, but again, we see a U-boat sinking an American ship. I don't think it was a just a straight-up passenger ship, but it was a neutral boat. Um, Okay, April 2nd, 1917, Wilson delivers his war message to Congress. This is in response to the Americans dying. This keeps happening. And so he finally says, okay, we need to go to war. He goes to Congress. April 5th through 6th, uh, April 5th, an overwhelming majority of Congress approves of the war. And then the next day, Wilson signs the declaration and officially declares war that he is going to war on the Allies' side. 
April 16th, 1917, Lenin, who had been exiled from Russia, gets snuck back in by the Germans. They're hoping to have a large strike of Russian workers. And around the same time, the French military, there's a mutiny that uprises. And some people are shot because they, you know, started this mutiny. They don't want to fight anymore. This war has been going on for three years at this point. It At this point, it doesn't really look like there's an end in sight. And so people start getting restless. And there's a French mutiny that uprises. And it gets kind of shut down pretty quick. In May, or on May 24th, total war begins. This idea of total war, where Germans have this strategy to spot attack civilians. Part of this is to just show, like, to make everyone afraid. Part of it is to show their military power. And I think it's more of a psychological trick where they, you know, they are showing that they're willing to attack civilians. And if you never know if it's going to be you, you will be terrified all the time. So it was more of a psychological game than, again, like a military. Uh, it didn't really make a military impact necessarily. It wasn't like 100,000 people died, but they are showing that they're willing to attack civilians and that civilians could die in their own homes at any point. And it's a psychological strategy. Uh, in on June fifth, nineteen seventeen, the draft begins in America. This is, you know, a bunch of people register on the first day uh, and go, and it doesn't sound like people have to start being pulled in a lottery system until later because so many people, you know, are behind the war effort and want to go to war, and so so many people volunteer that it's not necessary. But they do say, okay, we need soldiers, and everyone signs up. June 15th, 1917, the Espionage Act is passed in the United States, which means that the government can censor publications sent through the mail and it's a crime to help enemy nations. This is a huge, like, overstep of the government, in my opinion. I guess in war times, some things are suspended, some rights are suspended, but the government was censoring the mail and then seeing if you said anything about aiding other nations or anything like that or um, dabbling with the draft, like uh, making it so that someone wouldn't go in the draft or making it so that you wouldn't, like some people would try to disqualify themselves so they didn't have to go and fight. So your mail was gonna be searched and if anything mentioned that, you could be charged and it was a crime. So I, I don't know, like that seems way like an overstep. So I don't know how many people were on board with that. I don't know how many people supported the Espionage Act, but it seems like a drastic overstep of the government. June 25th, 1917, U.S. troops land in France. So between, let's see, what was the day? So it was on April 6th that war was declared that the United States joined the war, and it took about two and a half months to get troops on the ground in France ready to fight. July 31st through November 10th, the British launched the third battle of, I don't know how to say this, Y-P-R-E-S, Ypres, <laughs> um, against the Germans. Around this time, German sailors begin, begin a mutiny. And again, the leaders are killed. They squash the mutinies pretty quick, but they're starting to get more frequent because people are just not happy with war. 
especially in Europe. America, it seemed like they were fresher, you know, because they just joined the war. They're ready to go. But in Europe, it's been happening for three years and people are just tired of it. Suffrage is also happening at the same time in America and suffragists are being arrested and things like that. This is in 1917. Suffrage, uh, U.S. suffrage, you know, the, what am I trying to say? The amendment that made it possible for women to vote. Um, that got passed in 1919, so it was a couple years ahead of, uh, ahead of this. But yeah, there was a lot going on at this time. Not only is there a war going on, but now people are deciding like, hey, now is the time that we want to fight for women's rights in the middle of World War One. So it seems like bad timing. Um, and you'll see prohibition also happens during this war, which also seems like not the best time. Um, okay, so November 2nd, 1917. So we're getting to the end of 1917. The Balfour Declaration is presented, which expresses British government's support of establishing a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. It's basically the first... Uh, mention during this war of establishing a Jewish state of Israel. November 7th, 1917, the Bolsheviks seize power in Russia. Lenin's forces succeed in overthrowing the Karen Kerensky government and the Bolsheviks demand a just and immediate peace. So there's a lot going on in Russia. Uh, the Bolsheviks are seizing power in Russia as well. December 6th, a French ship carrying... Oh, this one is sad. Uh, there's a French, kip sh French ship carrying munitions, and it collided with a Belgian relief ship near the coast. And it exploded, like all the mun munitions exploded because of the collision, and it decimated the entire city of Halifax, Nova Scotia. It killed thousands of people, injured 9,000. It was really an unfortunate part of the war because it was just an accident it seemed um okay december 9th british the british captured jerusalem from the turks and here we go december 18th 1918 prohibition passes and i wrote in my notes what the actual heck <laughs> because this seems like the worst time to do it you're in the middle of a war there's suffragists getting arrested, there's unrest everywhere, and then someone thought it was a brilliant idea to pass prohibition. But then I remembered, I did do a podcast on prohibition, and I learned all about it. And you would, you know, from the outside, when you know how prohibition ended, how it kind of was a disaster, you're like, why would, why would they pass prohibition? But you have to remember, at the time that prohibition passed, three quarters of the people had to, you know, vote for prohibition. They had to vote for that amendment. So it was an overwhelming majority of the people in America who wanted prohibition. It was also misunderstood because people thought that prohibition meant, a lot of people at least, who were beer and wine drinkers, thought that prohibition would only apply to hard alcohol. So you couldn't have like vodka, but you could still have wine or beer. Well, so there was some confusion about how it was going to be implemented. People, you know, there was a lot of alcoholism going on, so they thought prohibition would help that. So looking back on it now, you'd think, why would you want to introduce prohibition at a time like this? But really, it seemed like a decent proposition. 
for the time because it would help with like alcoholism, help with people in the draft, I believe. Um, it would kind of get America back together and people were in support of it, getting back to like, quote, Christian values with prohibition. They also used rationing stuff as an excuse. So it didn't sound like in this war, America ever had to ration things. Herbert Hoover was appointed as the head of the um, food administration, and he did not implement a rule about rationing. He just encouraged rationing. And so they also kind of used rationing as an excuse to pass prohibition because that would be less like yeast and, and things that would be used in alcohol. And so it would help the food supply. So it kind of makes sense that prohibition was passed at this time during, you know, kind of what would hopefully be the end of the war um, because of the rations. So that was kind of an interesting little side note. Okay, January 8th, 19... No, sorry, 1819. Oh, sorry, prohib... Yeah, okay. Uh, January 8th, 1918. Wilson outlines the 14 points, which is a peace plan that would make it safe for every peace-loving nation, he said. Um, sorry, both of those were actually 1917. I think I labeled the year wrong on there. Okay, uh, March 3rd, 1918, so this next year, treaty, the Treaty of brest lit mm, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk is signed by Soviet Russia and Germany. So there was a treaty where Germany set very, very harsh terms because Russia was losing that region. So Russia had to yield 34% of the population, 32% of the farmland, 50% of industrial holdings, and 90% of coal mines. It says Bolshevik negotiator Leon Trotsky laments, this is a piece that Russia, grinding her teeth, is forced to accept. So wasn't looking that great for Russia at this time. March 8th, the first instance of the Spanish flu is reported. It eventually goes on to kill over 550,000 Americans and 20 million worldwide. I'm going to do a whole podcast episode about the Spanish flu, but it is going to have a heavy overlap to World War I. May 28, 1918, Americans win the Battle of Cantigny against Germany. June 6th, U.S. Marines launch an attack at Belleau Wood against Germany. So this is where really American forces start to pick up and they start to get a lot of wins. June 8th, so two days, later, two days after that Marine attack, the U.S. lays sea mines. They start laying sea mines uh, in order to stop the U-boats. So... Eventually, uh, there were tons of sea mines that were laid from all the way from Scotland to Norway in kind of like a dividing line that boats couldn't pass. A lot of this just caused U-boats to go around in a very inconvenient way, waste a lot of time, but at least five U-boats were sunk um, by the end of the war because of these. Around this same time, the U.S. really starts putting its efforts into chemical warfare, researching it, um, and trying to see if they can implement it. July 17th of 1918, the Bolsheviks then murder the Tsar of Russia. So there's a lot going on here in 
a lot of different areas, a lot of different countries, and a lot of different players in these. Um, so July 18th through August 5th, the French and American forces launch an offensive at Ains Marne. Probably not pronouncing that correctly either. But this was um, a huge battle for the Allied forces. So this really showed the Americans' strength and willingness to fight. There was a man whose last name was Sidney, who was a private. He was wounded nine times severely, and he single-handedly broke up a counterattack with an automatic rifle fire. So this was a huge turning point. It was a huge uh, statement that the Allies made as to their grit and resolve in fighting. They then launched another offensive at St. Mihail, um, September 12th through 16th of 1918. Then in September, also September 16th, the first phase of the Moose-Argonne offensive, which was the most important offensive in the war, was begun. That was, again, with Americans and the French forces. So... At this point, like, there's been a very long string of U.S. wins and Allied forces wins. And so October 6th, 6th of 1916, Germany requests an armistice, which Wilson rejects. He does not want any sort of truce. He wants to drive it home that the U.S. is winning. Because in my understanding, an armistice is like a temporary pause on the war, not a, you know, an admission that you lost. Um, October 17th, Hungary then separates from Austria. So we see kind of that empire starting to collapse a little bit. November 9th and 10th, Kaiser Wilhelm, who was the German emperor, abdicates his throne and the German Republic was proclaimed, as well as the emperor uh, Karl of Austria also abdicates his. That happened back-to-back days. Both the German emperor and the Austrian emperor abdicate. So that region, you know, it seems on the decline. Germany then finally signs an armistice with the Allied powers. This is like very late in 1918. Um, December 1st, 1918, U.S. soldiers occupy the middle of the Rhine. They are, you know, pretty much sandwiched between the rest of the Allied soldiers. Yugoslavia then declares itself an independent state. And this is when, December 14th, 1918, Wilson arrives in Paris for the Peace Parley. Um, So this is when they start discussing their peace treaty, and it's looking like the war is pretty much going to be over at this point. February 14th, 1919, so it still takes, you know, a few months, the proposed constitution for the League of Nations is announced, and the goal is to prevent this from happening again. So... The idea behind the League of Nations is to have this coalition of representatives that would discuss issues and make it so that this war would not recur, uh, reoccur. Um, It would make it so that it's kind of like the UN, I guess, where hopefully there would be some, uh, what's it called? some like discussion i'm forgetting the word that i'm looking for but there would be discussion before just a war would would break out again um so we are getting very close to peace here um okay then let's see march 15th 1919 the final draft of the peace treaty is 
presented to Wilson. Now, he saw that there were some issues with this. There were some things that people did not like um, in this peace treaty, but uh, he basically thought that the League of Nations was going to be able to handle anything that they, you know, any remaining issues could be handled in the League of Nations was his um, was his philosophy. Now, this is important. The actual end of the date or end of the war, if you look up the end of the war date, it says November 11th, 1918, which is the day that Germany signs the armistice with the Allied powers. So they didn't actually sign this final peace treaty until months after March 15th is when the final draft was presented. But technically the war was considered over as soon as they signed the armistice on November 11th. So that's over. Um, okay. June 28th, 1919, Germany and the allies signed the peace treaty. Uh, this, so that's even three months after the final draft is, is, uh, presented. So it takes a while, like all of this sort of paperwork stuff seems to take a really long time in war, even though the fighting between them has not happened for, over six months now, the final peace treaty is being signed. China refuses to sign the peace treaty, the Chinese ambassador, um, because it would say that the um, German mines, railroads, and tele telegraph cables that are currently in China would be turned over to the Japanese, so they do not sign technically, but Germany and the Allied forces sign the peace treaty. July 9th, German ratifies the Treaty of Versailles this agree this in the treaty of versailles they agreed to pay war reparations and cede some areas to france uh they also recognize belgian sovereignty the this treaty is then submitted to the senate in july there was a great debate that ensues but um wilson after a countrywide tour to support this the senate refuses to ratify the treaty of versailles so they never ratified that and um, I think that was because of the issues that they found in the Treaty of Versailles that Wilson did recognize, but, you know, where he thought the League of Nations would handle it, some in the Senate did not, did not want the League of Nations to even exist. And if they did, were fine with it existing. They did not think that it could solve issues and prevent wars from happening again. And then the final treaty that was signed was August 10th of 1920, the Treaty of Severs, Severs. Uh, ends the war on the Eastern Front with the Ottoman Empire. So at that point, everyone is now done. Everyone is now at peace and the war is over. Even though, again, November 11th, 1918 was the day that technically the war was considered over, even though all of these treaties and all of the fallout of it, how they were going to handle like money, reparations, areas of land, all of that stuff landed, uh, lasted a lot longer, but technically war was over November 11th, 1918. So it was about a four, a little over a four year war. And fun fact, my husband and I's dating anniversary was a hundred years. It was the hundred anniversary of world war one ending. So even another reason to know <laughs> for me to know the history of World War One, because it ended on our anniversary 100 years before our anniversary. So that was the war. As you can see, there was so much going on. There were so many different locations, so many different 
players in the game that it gets very confusing, especially when you're reading this timeline, but it bounces back and forth between countries and places and all of this. So I'm glad I finally got an overall picture of what was happening. I may have to dive into more of the individual battles because some of these battles were like, I mean, you could do a whole podcast episode by itself because, you know, one of the battles lasted almost an entire year and really showed, you know, was were huge turning points of the war. So just to brush over it in like one sentence thing doesn't seem to do, do it justice. But that at least is the general timeline of the war. I will be doing a lot more history episodes. So I'll probably be going more into specific battles in this. I also want to go more into the Armenians because, again, they were all displaced or at least a million of them were displaced and removed forcibly into Syria. And then a lot of them were murdered around this time. And so I want to get into that history as well. So I have added those to my list. Be on the lookout for a podcast pertaining to those topics um, in the somewhat near future. I'm sure that will be. So um, that is all. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that was easy enough to follow, even though there were, it's a pretty complicated timeline. So hopefully everyone got out of that as much as I did. And again, thank you for listening. I will see you on Thursday for our Bible app. Oh, another update. I had mentioned that this might be on video on YouTube. It's not going to be because I got the camera. It all works. I have a YouTube video posted. It's basically the same, um, podcast episode of what I learned in marriage, just a shorter video version as like a test video. And that one took like two hours to upload. It took more than two hours to upload. And it was like a 15 minute video. So I have to look at my settings. I think I might be shooting it in like ultra high def. And so I don't think I want to take that much time to upload a one hour video as opposed to 15 minutes if the 15 minute one took that long. So I'm working on my camera settings to try to up, make it upload quicker so I can actually put podcasts on YouTube. So hopefully that's coming next week. Um, the other thing I'm going to be talking about on Thursday for our Bible episode, I was meant to do it in the beginning, but I didn't is, um, and I still want to do more research on it, but Pope Francis just put out a thing and I was talking to a couple of my Catholic friends about it where he was saying that it's now up to the bishops to even allow Catholic mass to happen in Latin. And my entire Instagram like blew up because I followed all these Catholics and a ton of them go to Latin mass. And he was basically saying that you wouldn't, they would not instate new uh, parishes or dioceses that wouldn't offer Latin masses and that it's up to the bishops to even continue doing them. But it's kind of like he was poo-pooing the Latin version of the Catholic Mass, which is the original version of the Mass. A ton of people like it. And apparently a bunch of young people are now flocking to the Latin version of the Mass, it, uh, of the mass because, you know, they just like it more. But now it seems like the Pope is discouraging that from happening, which is very confusing. So I'm going to be doing more research on that and I will talk about it more in our Bible episode because that's kind of, you know, related. So be on the lookout for that. If you have any information or any thoughts or opinions on that, I would love to hear from you. So DM me at Abby Rancor on Instagram. I would love to hear it. So that's all for now. I'll see you on Thursday for our Bible episode. Bye everyone.